Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Thank you very much. You could be seated. Ah, oh, it's good to be back in Harvey Bay. Come on. I love this place. I, 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 this place marked me last time. I love the atmosphere here. I, I left and um, I, I told, I told um, my office, I said, anytime, anytime that group of people have me back, I'll go. Because very, it's very cool. And I mean, I, I, had, I had two people already tonight come up and said, Shane, my splackness open. And I was like, oh. And, it, and it's, in some cases, that would be like, what are you talking about? But when you remember what I said, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Um, like, like Pastor said, on the way out, um, at the back there, we have a giant resource table set up. If you can't find it, seek medical help. It's taking up half the room. And if, if you look at that and you say, why would you carry all that around? And, and, the, and the reason we do that is because we live with a conviction that we're not simply called to go to heaven when we die, but we're called to bring heaven to every place we see hell here. And so 100% of what we'll make from that tonight, uh, we're going to use to do justice in the world. Uh, we have three orphanages in China that look after mentally handicapped kids, two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls out of sex trafficking. And so you could be a part of, you could be a part of all of that by simply, um, by simply purchasing some things. Actually, next week, I'm going to be in Cape Town. Uh, meeting with the district attorney there uh, because they want to talk to us about expanding because what they're doing is, is working so well. So the government's really behind us. Since the last time I was here, uh, we put out four brand new ones. So I'll never be the guest preacher that only has one thing to say. I can't stand that. I, I, write, I write stuff every day of my life. Every single day I try to study two hours and I read, write, do things like that with my team. And so uh, you could pick those things up back there. CD, DVD, USBs. And direct download. All right, so oh, one other thing. I want to give you an authentic um, uh, invitation back tomorrow night. On midweek meetings, I really try to honor your time. I know everybody worked today and they got to work tomorrow. And so honestly, if we'll wait on God. If God's doing something, there's no trouble. Like if somebody walks out of a wheelchair, we'll sit around till midnight and celebrate that or, but, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, but, but in general, my goal is not to have a long meeting for long meeting's sake, but I'll be very strong. And um, I, I saved something very special for tonight. And the reason I saved it for tomorrow night is so I could invite you tonight and ask you to invite people for tomorrow. I was going to ask everybody to bring a person tomorrow, but if that happened, we'd have to do two services. So, but just so, but but because uh, this is really a good turnout. But uh, I want you to come tomorrow night. Um, I, I really, um, I've set aside something so special tomorrow night. I know it'll change your life. Um, as a matter of fact, I, I, I'm so confident of it. If if you'll put aside an hour to an hour and ten minutes tomorrow night to come. Um, if, if it doesn't change your life, I'll, I'll personally, out of my own pocket, um, I'll refund whatever they charge you to come, okay? So, 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 so whatever that is, uh, I'll refund it myself, right? Because that's risk-free now. It's risk-free. So it's, it's really, really good. So come on out tomorrow night. Um, Philippians chapter 2, um, I want to talk to you about the cross and resurrection, and I want to talk to you about one aspect of that. Because if you're the type of person that listens to the first two minutes of a sermon... Um, and then you phase out. Here we go, right? So, so the cross and resurrection should not simply be something that we believe in, but be an event that fundamentally shifts the way we see all other events after that, okay? So, so the cross and resurrection should not be bullet points on a pamphlet that we go, yep, we affirm that. We affirm that. You do realize that it's possible for you to affirm the resurrection, and actually it's possible for you to prove that it happened literally, and yet still look at your life and miss the entire point that, that, that actually the cross and resurrection should not simply be something we believe in and affirm, but rather it should go further than that. And it should be the fundamental event that changes the way we see all other events after that. And so, um, so there's this guy named Paul and he's chained to a wall. He's having a really bad day. He's, he's, he's chained to a wall in prison. This is, um, this is out of something that they call the prison epistles. So, and sometimes that just rolls off our tongue, like Paul was in jail when he wrote this, like lighty die. Hang on a second. Okay, so, so Paul is in jail in Rome in 57 AD. He's going to die by the death penalty at the hands of a guy named Nero. Nero had a certain uh, ritual that he liked to do with Christians. He would take a wooden stick and he would impale you with it with the goal of going through both orifices. Um, he would cover you in tar and set you on fire to keep his backyard alight. Okay? So any thought that you're having that the world's getting worse, 
Think again, okay? This guy, this, this guy was a, a maniac. Um, he is gonna, he's going to die in jail because he won't come off the idea that Jesus is Lord. And here's the reason. Nero forced every person, just a quick history lesson, Nero forced every person in the Roman Empire to address him as two things, Lord and Savior, Curios and Soter. You had to address him as Lord and Savior. When he wrote a letter, he would sign it, your Lord and Savior Nero. When you wrote him a letter, you had to say, Dear Lord and Savior Nero, I ask this of you. So when Paul writes letters from a Roman jail that he knew was going to be censored by Roman guards, and he starts it, Grace and peace be to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not something to read over. This is not a bullet point for a pamphlet. This is a guy chained to a wall knowing they're going to read it going, Up yours, Nero. You're not going to get the last word here, Jesus is. If you, if you read to the end of the book of Philippians, there's this interesting line right at the end. He says, uh, he says, grace and peace to all of you. We all greet you in the name of the Lord, especially those of Caesar's household. Bye. Right? Which is like, like we're not going to tell them who, but, uh, but even people in Caesar's household are, are buying in to this new way of living. And, and in, in that context, he says some of the most inspiring things you can imagine. Like, this will turn out for my deliverance. If God started it, he'll complete it. All things are possible in Jesus Christ. Stand firm against your enemies, for what might look like your destruction will actually be your salvation. Like, wow. Wow. Then in chapter 2, he switches to how we treat each other. And he says things like, don't do anything out of um, vain conceit, uh, but in humility, uh, consider others better than yourself. He, He starts talking about how we treat other people. And then he uses this famous line. It gets quoted all the time. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, of course, the word you're there is plural. This is, this is read in a group. He's talking about we're all in this together. And then he gives several thoughts on what it means to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let me put my language on that. What does it look like to not only see the cross and resurrection as something that happened, but rather something that happened that fundamentally shifts the way we see all other happenings after that? What does it mean not just to believe something, but to actually have a lifestyle of that something in our life? And I want to spend all night looking at his first point because it's really profound and really, really convicting. Here's what he This is the next. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Next verse. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Well, let's just stop right there. This could be the shortest sermon you've ever heard. And let's give this its due 30 seconds. How have we done in the last week with that? Couple things for you Bible nerds. First, I can read that in Greek. I know that makes me a nerd. And I can tell you that the word all there is actually all. How'd we do today with that? All things without grumbling or disputing. But Shane, you know what my wife did? Yep, you mean that lady that would stand with you if everybody else left you? Let's call that even. (laughs) All. But Shane, my husband left his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time. Yep, you you mean that guy that would gladly die for all of you if an intruder came in tonight? Let's call that even. All. But Shane, that waitress has taken so long to get our drink order. Yep. All. But but Shane, he said something I disagree with. Uh Uh-huh. All. But it was about the Bible. Yep. All. Leave the preachers alone, hey? Honestly, this this is what preaching is. Ready? Here's what preaching is. Preaching is spending 10 hours with four researchers to put together a talk that's going to take 40 minutes to deliver so that someone who hasn't spent 10 seconds thinking about it can take you on in a public forum on Facebook. (laughs) 
all. It doesn't say do all things without disputing unless you disagree with them about the Bible. It just says all. Because nothing is more uncompelling to the outside world than seeing Christians. In an earlier letter in the book of Romans chapter 14, he says, never, ever, 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 I added a few evers, but never, ever, 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 ever quarrel over a disputable matter. And then he calls all things disputable. Unless it's Jesus is the Christ, he was crucified, the resurrection's true. Well, hey, what day you worship on? Whatever. Will you eat bacon? Eh, circumcised or not. Eh, eh. Holidays, holy days, eh, eh, eh. whatever. Don't dispute over those things. And then he says, whatever faith you've come to in Jesus on disputable matters, keep it between yourself and God. The actual Greek there is, shut up. <laughs> All, do all things without grumbling or disputing. How about today? You know, as much Bible thumping as I've heard in my life, I've never heard that scripture Bible thumped. Harvey Bayers, Harvey Bay Christians, if we're going to Bible thump, only Bible thump that scripture until we master it. And then hopefully in the middle of all that, we'll understand the irony of Bible thumping at all. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, then he uses some very serious language. Watch this. That you may be blameless and innocent. Is Paul allowed to do that? Oh, by the way, if I ask you if Paul's allowed to do something, the answer is? Yes. Let's practice that. Is Paul allowed to do that? Yes. Is Paul allowed to tie our innocence to our basic disposition in conflict? <laughs> this is yeah, yeah, yeah. That you may be blameless and innocent, and it gets it gets even more serious. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, amongst whom you shine like stars or shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. In other words, I'm fixing to die. I'd like to know I didn't waste my life. And one of the ways I'm going to know I didn't waste my life is that you people make a commitment to do all things without grumbling or disputing now first part of the sermon here's something for you bible nerds okay now i i, I don't have time to go through this because I, I have some other points to make but if you're a studier you'll like this okay so i'm going to quickly put the references up paul is a first century rabbi who is quoting specific passages from the old testament word for word he's just ranting in these statements okay let, let me just show it to you next slide so um here There you go. <laughs> Grumbling is a reference to Exodus 16 and Numbers 14, by the way. Blameless and pure is a reference to Genesis 17. Warped and crooked generation is a reference to Deuteronomy 32. That's where Moses gets so sick of the children of Israel grumbling that he says, God's done all this for you and you're still complaining. You're no longer God's children. You're a warped and crooked generation. Um, shine like stars is a reference to Daniel 12. Run in vain is a reference to Isaiah 65. Let, let me, um, if, you wanted, if you're a studier, you can look that up later, but let me summarize it in one statement. Paul is quoting specific passages from the Old Testament, specifically the Exodus story. And here's the Exodus story in a nutshell. God reaches out to a group of people who did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. He saves their life, and then subsequent to God saving their life, they grumbled about things less important than God saving their life. Does that sound like anybody you know? Maybe I'm not being clear. Do you know anybody that God reached out and saved our lives despite us doing nothing to earn it or nothing to deserve it? And then subsequent to God saving our life, we grumble and dispute about things less important than that? Like the volume of the music, like the song choice, like the decor, like how long it's taken a waiter to get our order, like somebody else's driving habits like our husband's basic hygiene, like our wife's bedtime, like the way our children do things. Wait a minute, wait a minute. God has reached out and saved our life without us doing anything to earn it or deserve it. And Paul says one of the ways to live the cross and resurrection as a lifestyle is to choose to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Let's say it simply. Next slide. 
Paul's essentially saying, don't be like the freed Israelites and grumble. Shine like stars. Like, like we would say, we need to be a light to our community in Harvey Bay. And no one would disagree with that. If I was to say, listen, the church of Harvey Bay should be a light in the community. No one's going to go, no. We need more darkness. No. No, of course, we need to be light. The question is, is how do we do that? What's some language we could do about that? And Paul says, really, don't go, don't go too far. The, the first choice that we have to make is to do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things. Oh, one more thing for you Bible nerds. Um, I love this. Next slide. So, so the, the Greek word translated grumble is from the Greek word gongizmon. Gongizmon. Let, let, me, let me say that slowly. Gongizmon. The word translated grumble is an out-of-place symbol. A gong. It, it's sort of like this. It's a metaphor Paul uses regularly in his writings. It's sort of like this. Bayside Church in Harvey Bay. Is like, a, um, is like a song. New Life Church in Harvey Bay is like a song. Lifestyle Church at Gladstone is like a song. And to be a part of the song, you got to know your part. And here's the thing about music. You could have the greatest singer in Harvey Bay standing right there. By the way, good job. You could have, you could have the best guitar player in Harvey Bay standing right here. You could have the best keyboard player standing there. And it doesn't matter. There is no such thing as a musician that is good enough to overcome a bad drummer. Nobody. Nobody. And we've all been around church long enough to see that happen at least once. Right tune, right key, right tone, right everything, right notes. But the, if the rhythm section is off, it butchers the song. Paul said, here's what grumbling is. Grumbling is like in the, excuse me, grumbling is like in the middle of a song, a drummer just spontaneously crashing the cymbal offbeat. It's a gong. This is what grumbling is. Grumbling is when we lose our place in the song. So instead of finding our place, we just make as much noise with our mouth as we possibly can. We are going to make the whole song start over because we've lost our place. Grumbling is, an out, grumbling is a horrible drummer in a good band. That's what grumbling is. If you're the type that only remembers one line from a message, here you go. Be a part of the song and never a gong. Be a part of the song and never groan. When we grumble, complain, or dispute, it's like a drummer beating a cymbal out of place. Which leads me to this. There was a, there's a rabbi parable that the rabbis tell. This is not in the Bible. It's a parable the rabbis tell to help us understand the Bible. And so it, it goes like this. It says, as the children of Israel were crossing the Red Sea, there were two slaves moving from slavery to freedom. And they noticed pieces of mud getting stuck between their toes. And they started to grumble about the two pieces of mud between their toes. And they got so focused on the mud between their toes that they lost sight of the walls of water being held back for their redemption. Which leads me to this. Have we lost sight of the water at the expense of the mud? Where have we focused on the one or two things not going so well and lost sight of everything else God is up to in our church, in our family, in our world? And we draw attention to the, of the whole world to the one or two things not going so well while not drawing attention to the millions of things going really, really, really well. <clears throat> Which leads me to this. You never judge success on a plotted point. You judge success on the trajectory. So let me explain what I mean. So let's say I, let, let me, um, here's, okay. Let, let me tell you about my money. I'll tell you about my money situation. Let me tell you about how much money I have. Um, I have... 500,000 U.S. dollars in the bank and zero debt. Am I winning or losing? Well, the answer is that you can't possibly know because I only gave you a plotted point. And that's the problem with the news. The news can only give you a plotted point. What if I said, let me tell you the whole story. Three years ago, I inherited $100 million from my rich uncle. And I'm an idiot. And I now have a $500,000 bank account with no debt. Am I winning or losing? Losing. But what if I said I started with nothing and I've been diligent and worked a plan and now I've worked my way up to $500,000 in no debt. Am I winning or losing? Winning. So two people can be at the exact same plotted point and one be winning and one be losing because you don't judge success on plotted points. 
And so where is the body, of, in the body of Christ, where, where have we become guilty of focusing on the one or two things not going so well in the world and losing sight of everything God's up to in the world? Yeah. Listen, do we believe in resurrection or not? Yeah. Resurrection says this world matters to God and it's worth fixing, not destroying. Resurrection says that God is at work in this world. Paul said it this way in Ephesians 1, that the spirit of the risen Christ is filling everything in every way. In other words, God's up to something in me. God's up to something in you. God's up to something in them. And the whole thing's going somewhere good. Jesus said about to save this world, he's doing a really, really good job of it. Now, this is earth. Is there a few things not going so well? Yes. If you woke up this morning in Aleppo, not good. If you woke up this morning as a woman under Taliban rule, life could be better. But you know what? Those are marginalized places. In general, this world's getting better and better and better. And I'm telling you, I don't understand Christians who, we believe in Jesus and resurrection. Please believe with us. But we think the world's Compared to what? Okay. Life expectancy. Life expectancy in Jesus' day was 32. By 1550, it had ballooned to 37. By 1850, 43. And by 1925, first time ever, we were living to 50 years old. And that was only in the Western world. Global life expectancy did not cross 50 years old until 1948. Today, we're living to 80. Is God done redeeming long life? No. Is it better? Yes. Even my mate two years old gets that. Medicine's better. That's why we're living longer. Okay. Would you rather have dental work today or in 1950? Or in 1850? Today, if you need a root canal, they can numb your entire mouth with a well-placed needle of lidocaine into a nerve bundle that lives behind your jaw that successfully numbs your whole mouth before they drill into the dental nerve. Today, they numb your mouth with lidocaine. In 1850, whiskey. Lidocaine is better. <clears throat> okay? What could be today? Or in 1950? <laughs> or 1850, where they just sort of looked around. Is God done redeeming colon health? No. Is it better? Yes. Number one selling cough medicine in 1900. Number one selling cough medicine in 1900 was heroin. It was legal. Oh, look, Billy's not coughing anymore. Actually, Billy's not doing much of anything anymore. <clears throat> better. Violence is better. Murder rate in Europe in 1400 was 100 murders to 100,000 people. Today it's one. Literally, the murder rate is 100 times better, and we're still saying the world's worse. According to the World Health Organization, 2014 was the most peaceful year in the history of the world. Less deaths in war than any other time in history. And if you look at the graph on it, from 1300 to now, you can't even see the graph now. There was a big jump in 1941. I'll let you figure that out. But then it whew, tapered right off. Is God done redeeming violence? No. Is it better? Yes. Think about it. Like, what if, if your great-great-grandfather came back from the dead and lived with you for two days, how much would you have to explain about how much better the world is? You imagine trying to convince your great-great-grandfather the world's worse than what he was living in? Just think about your house. What's that? That's a car. What's that do? Takes us wherever we want to go at 120K an hour. What? What's that? That's a tap. What's that do? Brings pure water into our house under pressure. What? What's that? That's the hot water. You have hot water coming into your house under pressure? Yes. Wow. What's that? That's toilet paper. 
It's awesome. Tree bark out of fashion. What's that? That's a chemist shop. What's that do? Sells pills. For what? Anything on earth. Like that one, if you get a headache, you could take it, the headache will go away. It's called Nurofen. You have a pill for headaches? Yes, pill for headaches. What's that one do? Well, that one is if you're going to be in an awkward situation and you don't want to have to go to the toilet, that pill will successfully constipate you. You take pills for con- Yes. So you take pills to, to purposely constipate you. Yes, we do. What's that pill? That's the one that unconstipates you. What's that? That's the cosmetic section. What is that? That's where we buy stuff to make us prettier. You you know, according to Forbes magazine last year, we spent, listen, $3.8 billion last year on cosmetics. $3.8 billion was spent on cosmetics by men. What are you doing, mate? You can see your forehead from a satellite dish. Not working. Money. According to the World Health Organization, 92% of the whole world was living in poverty in 1820 by today's definition of poverty. We have so much money now, they just keep changing the definition of poverty. Is God done redeeming poverty? Not even close. Is it better than it's ever been? Think about it. According to Forbes magazine, the, the generation turning 20 today has more money by the age of 20 than the previous four generations before it combined. All you have to do is hang out with them. Whoa, what are y'all thinking about doing? We're thinking about taking a year off and walking around Europe. Who's got that kind of money to take a year off to look at old buildings and drink $10 coffee. (laughs) Evidently, they do. I'm 42. We didn't think about that. My dad's generation just thought Europe vacations were for really rich people once, and my grandparents would have probably thought you got a passport at Kmart. They didn't. That never crossed their mind. We have so much extra money. This is how much extra money we have. There is somebody in Harvey Bay this week making a full-time wage Rubbing people. That's relatively new. That we, we have so much money that we can pay somebody $75 an hour to rub our shoulders because they feel tight. That's a lot of money. We have so much money. There's somebody in Harvey Bay this week making a full-time wage permanently removing women's facial hair. My great-grandmother didn't have that. You should have seen him. Oh, Shane, you believe how bad this world's getting? Are you kidding me? Literally nothing is worse. Well, there's a few things worse. If, If you're underneath the rule of radical Islam, that's... And that's not even getting worse. That's just stagnated since the mid-600s. Um, but, 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 or, or, okay, let's be fair. There's a few pieces of mud because this is earth, right? Here's one thing that's getting worse, and this is true. The divorce rates are going up, and the marriage rates are going down. That's true. The divorce rates are trending the wrong direction. They are, there's, there's more divorces now. They, they, the divorce rates are going up. But why is that? Why is that? Well, it's because we're living longer. Duh, like when you die at 32, till death do us part is more doable. (laughs) Marriage has to last 50 years longer today than people even lived in Jesus' day. Till death do us part in Jesus' day was put up with their crap for another 10 years, you'll die, it'll be better. There's a couple of pieces of mud in the thing. There is. This is earth. God's not done redeeming it. couple pieces of mud. But Christians do not do their community any service by focusing on the two pieces of mud and losing sight of everything else God is up to in this world. 
So why is our default button to grumble? I think if we understand this, I think it can help us overcome it. Because Paul is clear. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. A couple of ideas on this. Next slide. I think we grumble when we forget to remember. Like we forget to remember. If, we, if you could get focused on any one plotted point or any one day, you could think it's bad. But when you look at the whole story, it's not that bad. We forget to remember our nation is great. All of us woke up this morning in Australia. A nation with motor cars, paved roads, stores that prepackage food for us, clean water in our tap, machines that do washing, other machines that do drying, world-class health care right down the road, and it's largely free, laws that protect the weak against the strong. This is Australia, man. I got to admit, I expected a bigger response from a room full of Australians. When I hear Australians, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. There we go. When I hear Australians complain about Australia, let me be blunt. If you can't make it here, where are you going to go? <laughs> you can be on the dole here and still be in the richest 7% of the whole world. If you can't make it here, bro, where are you going to go? We forget that our life is great. Imagine convincing our great-grandfather. Are you kidding me? Our health's a gift. I woke up today, and I do not have a chemotherapy appointment. Just that one thought, right? Our, our transportation. I fly every week of my life, every week of my life. And you know what? This might surprise you. But I've heard people grumble and dispute over half-hour flight delays. Can you imagine that? Like your great-great-grandfather would be like, what? It took me six months to get here on a boat, and I just hope we didn't all die of vitamin C deficiency. And, and you're fixing to get on the most technologically advanced piece of machinery ever invented in the history of the world up till now. It's going to fly you at 36,000 feet and 900 Ks an hour. You can go from Sydney to L.A. in 14 hours while digitally streaming movies on demand. And they bring you free Coke at the push of a button. And you can still complain. What's wrong with us? It's not compelling at all. Here's a long-haul flight today. Hang on. A long-haul flight today is a 15-hour movie marathon where they bring you free Coke at the push of a button. And we can still complain. And by the way, in case you're interested, Richard Branson has invented a plane that can go Sydney to Dallas in an hour. I'm in. I'm not on the first one. They're going to have to run that mug about a thousand times. But after that, I'm in. And here's the thing, in case you're interested. It doesn't fly faster. It flies higher. And because the earth is round, if you can fly at 96,000 feet, then your relative ground speed because of the spin of the earth and the arc of the angle is 10,800 miles an hour. You can go anywhere on earth in an hour. The, the, the trick is coming down in such a way that your head doesn't blow off. But, but they'll figure it out. It'll be good. It'll be, it'll be good. It'll be good. Our homes, I've been in a couple of your homes, and they're average homes. But an average home in Harvey Bay is about how kings lived a thousand years ago. It's just awesome. It's just awesome. Our water, our medicines, our power, our literacy. In Jesus' day, literacy was 3%. I mean, it's just better. It's just better. Let's say it this way. Next slide. We grumble when we forget to remember the story is larger. We focus on the mud and miss the water. Maybe we can say it this way. Next slide. We grumble when we think we need more or we compare ourselves to what others have. Like, we, like, like in Australia, this is very difficult because if we compare, there's nowhere to look except for the people richer than us. But everybody in Australia is rich on global standards. And so what happens is, is we end up grumbling by splitting hairs between the top 3% in the world. That makes no sense. And it's not shining. It's dull. It makes us look petty. It's terrible. It, it, it's, it, it, let's say it this way. Let's, next, next slide. 
The idea that I will have peace and contentment at some unknown point in the future, that's just a lie. Like the idea that there's something out there that will make me feel better or feel at peace ultimately. That's not out there. It's called, philosophically, it's called the lie of the sacred object. Like the, the, the like it, it, this is what it sounds like. Use this weight, I'll feel better about myself. No, you won't. No, you won't. And let me be clear. If you need to lose 15 kilo, please do. It'll be easier on your heart, your blood pressure, your joints, your metabolism. It does a whole lot to help you. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. Doesn't work that way. Oh, if I could just meet this person. I'll no, you won't. No, you won't. There's no such thing as a happy God, we hated our life, but then we met each other and got married and it fixed it all. No, no way. Marriage doesn't solve problems. Marriage magnifies problems. Oh, if I could just get that raise, boy, just that little bit more money. No, you won't. The science on this is very clear. If you make $60,000 a year, combine family income. The difference between 60,000 and 60 million provides no new happiness. Now, if you make 20,000 and get a raise to 40,000, it does buy happiness because it's necessity. But if you make $60,000 a year, more money, and, and I hope you get a raise. I hope you make as much as you can. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. A good spouse, a, listen, a good spouse is a good thing to have. It is. A good spouse is a good thing to have. You marry well, that's awesome. Now listen, you marry poorly, you'll pray for a comet to come to earth to bring you sweet relief from them. But I'm like, dear God, right? Right? A good spouse is a good thing to have. But if you're not enough without it, you'll never be enough with it. A raise is great, but if you're not enough without it, that shirt, that car, that job, the idea is that anything external can, no, it's a lie. Let, let's say it this way, next slide. We grumble when we feel like God has shorted us. I think for us to overcome grumbling, we have to settle this one question first, and that is this. Do we really believe that God has been good to me? Do we, do we have a, and not just a bullet point either. I'm talking about a real conviction. God has been good to me. We just came off the Easter and Pentecost season. What a, like, God has been good to me. Because if we, don't, if we don't settle that, we'll feel like God shorted us. And if we feel like God shorted us, then we'll be okay shorting other people. And we'll find ourselves complaining about, about things when we actually, most of the world has it worse than us. Let, let's say it this way. Next slide. Oh, and the next one. And the next one. I think we grumble when we judge the future by the present. So, so the, the philosophical word for that is despair. The conviction that tomorrow is simply a repeat of yesterday. That's despair. Now, resurrection blows that out of the water. Not the doctrine of resurrection, but resurrection as a worldview blows that out of the water. Because resurrection says that if you were wrong about death, what else could you be wrong about? That new creation could burst forth in the middle of this one. That you could be surprised tomorrow. You never know what God can do when he gets up to something. Even death is not out of his reach. The, 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 the philosophical word for that is despair. The psychological word is freezing the present. The idea that I'll never be out of this pain. This pain is too much. I'll never be out of it. And when we think that way, when resurrection is just a bullet point instead of a lifestyle choice, instead of a worldview, we can get caught in despair and freezing the present and lose our focus. We can lose our energy. We can lose our passion and our vision. Like, like, like and, and let me, let's just be real. It's just in us to freeze the present. Heck, if we get a bad enough cold, Four days into a bad enough cold, we're thinking, I'll never breathe again. <laughs> or maybe, maybe a better example is heartbreak. Remember your first breakup, right? I do. I remember the first girl that broke up with me. So this girl breaks up with me, right? Right? And it was mutual. And don't you think anything else? <laughs> we decided together. But, but I was the one all broke up about it. I was all upset and pouting and Go, go, no. I don't, know, I don't know why they call it heartache, because you actually feel it here. It's more gut ache. I was like, oh, oh, I love her so much, Lord. Oh, God, oh, I'll never find anybody. 
it's all a disaster, you know, you're 14. <clears throat> Goodness, I'm all pouting. Dad picks me up from school. I get in the car pouting. My dad says, hey, what's the matter with you? And all of you parents know exactly what I said. What did I say? Nothing. And my dad was like, really? Then tell your face that. Because <laughs> I can't see in here, but I can see your face. So your face is telling me there's a problem. And so if there's really no problem, then fix your flipping face. <laughs> we get home. Dad's ignoring me. I'm still pouting. An hour later, dad comes in my room. Hey, you going to tell me or what? I said, dad, gosh, she broke up with me. I love her so much. I'll never find anybody. <laughs> my dad, that's freezing the present. My dad looked right at me in the eye and he said, are you crying over a girl? I was like, yeah, Dad, you don't understand. He said, hang on, I need to teach you a lesson. It's, a, it's an object lesson. I'll be right back. It's very important you learn this now. So Dad leaves, comes back with the sm a very small potted plant. Very small. He said, I want you to hold the potted plant. So I hold it. He goes, I, I need to teach you a lesson. It's very important. What you're feeling is very normal, but it's very important you learn this lesson. And I thought, looking back on now, I thought he was going to teach me about new life and how things start small and new life comes. I don't know what he was going to say. Anyway, this is what he said. He said, hold the potted plant. I did. He said, here's the lesson. If you're going to cry over a girl, then at least cry in the potted plant so your tears will do something. <laughs> God, you're embarrassing. <clears throat> and you know he was right. Two weeks later, new girl. Forget her, right? right? You don't freeze the present. Let, let's say it one last way. Number, number next. We grumble when we forget life is a marathon and not a sprint. Here's a quote from the great Franciscan monk, Richard Rohr, who has a PhD in saying profound things. He says, we tend to overestimate what we can do in a year, but underestimate what we can do in 10 years. That oftentimes grumbling is a feeling of failure, but what it is is not that we failed. It's we grossly overestimated what was possible in a year anyway, but we underestimate what could be possible if we stuck with it with 10 years. That life is a marathon and not a sprint. So why do we grumble? We grumble when we forget to remember, when we lose sight of the bigger story, when we judge it by a plotted point instead of trajectory line. We grumble when we compare ourselves to others. We grumble when we feel like God has shorted us. We grumble when we freeze the present. We judge the future by today. And we grumble when we forget life is a marathon and not a sprint. Now, if you're the type of person who listens to the first three minutes of a message, and then you tune out, and when you feel the message winding down at the end, you come back for the last three minutes. If that's you, now's your time. This is your moment. Let me state this as simply as possible. Next slide. No grumbling. Shine like stars. To work out our own salvation with fear and trembling starts with this one thought. No grumbling. And when we don't grumble, we shine like stars. There is nothing that is giving light to our community when we grumble and dispute. Nothing. Now, Great sermons are not meant to be agreed with. Like if you come up to me and go, I love that, Shane. I so agree with you. Uh, I would suggest you miss the point. Nor are they meant to be disagreed with. I hated that. I disagree with you. You also miss the point. Of course, how can you disagree with a sermon that says don't grumble? What are you suggesting? Nonetheless, sermons are not meant to be agreed with nor disagreed with. Sermons are meant to be wrestled with. They're meant to be digested. They're meant to be, they're meant to be transformative. They're meant to be an event. So, so the best way to do that is with questions. A couple questions. Next slide. Is shining as simple as not grumbling? 
Maybe we shouldn't autopsy what it means to be light in our world past don't grumble or dispute until we master that. Or is shining as simple as keep going? Like there's something inspiring about somebody that faces obstacles that keeps their head up, their shoulders back, their hands clean, their hearts pure, their taste sweet, and they go forward. There's nothing inspiring about somebody not going through anything. Like if I was to say, here's my friend Bill. Bill, give him your testimony. And Bill's like, hello, everybody. My name is Bill. Let me tell you about my life. My life is awesome. My marriage is awesome. My children are awesome. My business is my past. I pretty much nailed that too. We don't want to know that guy. We'd be like, boo! Right? What's inspiring is when someone faces something with their head up, their shoulders back, and they go forward. That's shining without grumbling. Let's say it this way. It's shining knowing we have enough right now. There's something inspiring about someone who has an internal contentment around their things. They don't need more things. Uh, maybe the best application for tonight is simply this. Next slide. Do we need to repent from grumbling? Did we? It, it, look, we're followers of Jesus. If we can't at least ask the question, we got bigger problems. Did we grumble or dispute today? This week? This month? I grumbled. And I don't mind, I'll be open with you. I don't mind telling you about what it was about. I grumbled about Melbourne roads. Because whoever thought that up thought no one would ever show up. And as an American driving in downtown in the city of Melbourne, it's stressful as anything. First of all, they turn right funny, okay? I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but that is flippant. You don't know what to do. That's first. Secondly, sometimes the GPS will turn you down a road and you're also on the railroad track. And that in America is death. It is terrifying. The other thing is, is sometimes in Melbourne, a four-lane road behaves like a two-lane road because they let people park on the road. And I found that stupid. Now, let me paint the picture. I'm in a car going to a restaurant by myself, and I was grumbling about the roads. So get the picture. I'm grumbling, and no one else was there to hear it, <laughs> which is a whole other set of psychological problems. <laughs> and here's the problem, right? This is a new message. I, I, when I did this, I had just written this message. I was going to be delivering it for the first time. And it hit me, I got so convicted. Like, I, I seriously, I got as convicted about this as I would about any big sin, that we th as if that's not big. And here's the conversation I had with the Lord. I said, Lord Jesus, I'm in a motor car on a paved road traveling to a store that's going to pre-cook food for me and serve me. And I can easily afford all of it. And I'm still finding something to complain about, namely where people park. That is not shining. That is stupid. Would you please forgive me for that? And I made an intention to catch myself when I found myself doing it. Maybe we should be doing the same. Let's say it this way. Do we, what do we need to remember? Or where have we lost sight of the bigger story? Which leads me to this. I wonder if Paul would have had the internet, how Philippians would have been different. Like if Paul could have emailed it to 200,000 people. I wonder if Paul would have had access to YouTube, how this might have been different. A, a few months ago, somebody sent me a video, and it inspired me so much. Um, in about one minute, I'm going to be playing it for you. So if you guys could prepare that, but just, just hold it for a second, because I need to set this up or it won't make any sense. This is a little girl. Uh, she's probably two, maybe three. She's quite swollen. She's very sick. She's going to have tubes in her nose. Uh, she's in the hospital. Uh, she turns out she has leukemia. Um, she is waiting on bone marrow treatment. 
Uh, turns out she's been in the hospital 344 consecutive days, which tells you that her mom has been in the hospital 344 consecutive days. It tells you that she's got the greatest mother on earth. Um, if any two people had a right to grumble and complain about their lot in life, it'd be these two. Um, but they don't. Uh, this little girl is going to sing you a song. And it's obvious that, uh, that the mother's telling her what to do. She's looking off to the side and getting the motions. And, and, and it's, just, it's just so inspiring. I am convinced that if Paul would have had YouTube and he emailed Philippians instead of sending it by whatever he did, I think he would have attached this video and said, if you want to know what Shining Like Stars is, check this out. This is a video clip of a very, 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 very sick little girl who's going to sing you a song. Let me show it to you. I'll be right back. Let me hear it. thing we were going to complain about shine like stars I don't know if you picked this up but the 22 second mark in between stanzas she it sounds like garbity goop but if you really listen she said this is really awesome um, an amazing spirit there's something inspiring about somebody who's facing something like that do all things without grumbling or disputing I bless you, my brothers and sisters of Harvey Bay, to be people who don't allow that event to fundamentally shift the way we see all other events. May we be people who work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I can't wait to see you tomorrow night. I got something very special set aside for you tomorrow night about the spirit of healing around Jesus. I can't wait to share it with you. I promise you to change your life. But man, come on. We are serving and are united with a God committed to fixing this world, and he's doing a heck of a good job of it. I bless you to be people who be light in your world by shining like stars. Until I see you tomorrow night, grace and peace, everybody. Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.